and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and was laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought and we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on what account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what are your people? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea will be quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not see grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not be guilty of this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked up John and hurled him into the sea. And you remember I said he didn't jump in on his own because it's a kind of sacrifice. He was sacrificed. Not that he did it uh, uh, committing suicide, but he was sacrificed. It's a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. So they picked up John and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And then Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to you, the Lord, in my distress. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this evening. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord's Day evening worship. We know, Lord, that in so many of the newer churches, there is no Lord's Day evening worship. And it is a missed opportunity, as far as I'm concerned. And our God, we do pray that you would stir up more to come and fellowship with us and worship on the Lord's Day evening. But our God, I thank you for each person that's here this night. Thank you so much that Martha is with us. Ask you, God, to be with us as we consider your word this evening. I pray for your grace in my life as I preach it. And pray for your grace, O Lord, of the people as they hear it preached. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Anyone that reads the book of Jonah recognizes the foolishness of this man who should have known better. He was a prophet of God. He was a man who did work for God, who labored for the Lord. 
and a man who did not like one of God's commands, and so he tries to run away. I think twice in the first chapter it talks about him fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah knew that that was something he simply could not do. It was impossible for him to do that. You see God's providence throughout this account uh, with the storm, uh, with the fish that was prepared and at the right place at the right time to swallow Jonah. And I think the fish was especially prepared to hold Jonah and keep him alive for those days that he was in the belly or the compartment, whatever it was he was in exactly, uh, in that great fish. And it did his job of keeping Jonah alive. So now Jonah, as we enter into this prayer of Jonah, is in the belly of the fish. And there are two things that come out here. There's a sense of dread on the part of Jonah. Uh, that he senses that he is hidden from the sight of God. That he senses that God is so displeased with him. Or perhaps he senses that he is so deep in the water. Whatever the case may be, I think it's more of a sense of God's judgment upon him. That he senses he is out of the presence and the loving kindness of his God. I want to have us to see this this evening. Because God loves his children consistently, no matter how, we, how much we fail, no matter how foolish we are. Because God loves us consistently, constantly, ever and always. We should know that we have the freedom to seek his help at all times. There is never a moment in the life of the Christian when God says, go away. Never. Now, we need to come sometimes with tears. We need to come sometimes with a hat in hand. We need to come sometimes with our face on the floor. But there's never a moment when God tells us that we messed up so badly and he's just fed up with us that we are to go away. That does never, ever happen. Well, our, our faith may sometimes give way to arrogance. Our trust in God may give way sometimes to arrogance, as it did here in the life of the believer. Saving faith in the life of the Christian is a constant. It's like uh, your lungs. They're a constant. Your heart is always with you. So those who truly know and love the Lord Jesus Christ are always in connection with the Lord. We never lose our salvation. Either you love Jesus or you don't. Either you have a saving faith or you don't. But those who do know and love the Lord Jesus Christ are saved and they are always saved and will never lose our salvation. John chapter 6, verse 31, 39 says this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Christ takes us from the time that we belong to God. At whatever period in your life you came to know Christ, when you were saved. And here is the declaration from Jesus himself that he's going to raise us up on the last day. And I've told you before how terribly important it is for us to grasp the reality of our own resurrection and the consummation of the ages. So we're not saved simply to go to heaven. We are saved to enjoy the fullness of Christ's redemption at the end of the ages when he returns and those who are dead will be reconstituted. Amazing power. Amazing love. Amazing grace. That these bodies that were so afflicted and involved in lawlessness in so many ways and so many times we brought up from the grave imperishable glorified 
and sinless. So we have this promise of the Lord Jesus Christ here, that of all those that God has given to him, he would maintain them, and they would never be lost. And then in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, uh, these words from the Lord, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Christ and the Father work to the same end. Suzanne used to say this to me. Y'all remember Suzanne. Most of you do, I think. Not only can no one snatch us out of the Lord's hand, we're not able to jump out either. So God does persevere us. And then 1 John chapter 2, 19, that's where John says they went out from us. They weren't really of us. Had they been with us, they would have stayed. And so those who are of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ never, ever lose their salvation. Christ perseveres us. We have the certainty of seeing Christ in glory. That's a promise God has given to us. It's a promise God is going to keep, and nothing's going to change that ever, ever. And yet, as we hold on to this faith, as we hold on to this affection for Christ, we recognize we, held it, we hold it as fallen people. We're sinners. Sometimes we fall into very grievous sins, contrary to the Scriptures. Sometimes we harden our hearts about it even, because we are sinful people. And that remnant of sin is within us shows itself. It comes forward again and again and again, and you never stop sinning. Now, we don't relish in that. We don't uh, in any way uh, rationalize it and say, well, I'm not going to be too upset about this. After all, it's expected of me. I am a sinner. No, what God expects of you is perfection. What he demands is perfection. That's the goal. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the goal. Christ has set that goal for us. And he would have us to live that way. And he doesn't overlook the sins that we commit. He holds us accountable. And when we sin against God, it grieves him. He would have us to be absolutely and perfectly holy. And even though we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we sin against him every day. And there are times when we are more concerned for what we want than what God wants. And that's a fact. More concerned for what we want than what God wants. You know how to tell when someone is living out of faith and trust in God when they say God made a mistake. That's how you can tell when someone is living in rebellion against God, not living by faith and trust in our God. However... The faith we are talking about this evening is not saving faith, again, but it is that trust in God that Habakkuk speaks of in Habakkuk 2.4. The justified by faith shall live by faith. That we trust that God is good, we trust that God knows what he's doing, and we trust in that ever, every moment that we live. And we have to believe that every second that we are in the hands of God, that all things that happen to us, happen to us for a good reason, for a good purpose. Otherwise, Romans 8.28 makes no sense. All things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. And he goes on to define what happens then, that we will be glorified. And he goes on to say, then what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And that great expression of faith at the end of that section 
in Romans in chapter 8, that we are the Lord's and we are ever in his hands and he loves us more than we can ever think or imagine. And we have to trust moment by moment God knows best. That's not always easy to do. When you're facing trials, when you're dealing with difficulties, when you have a child that's rejected the faith, and there seems to be no coming to Christ, no interest in the gospel. I remember hearing Jeff Thomas many, many years ago talking about the burden of that. I don't, he wasn't saying one of his children was not converted, but he was saying how hard it would be to have a child that had no interest in the gospel. When it means so much to the believer and so precious to the believer. And yet even in that, we have to recognize that our God is sovereign over that and our God does not make mistakes. We should never consider that God has made an error or done something wrong in our lives. And often our knowledge that we have can lead us into rebellion when it is held in nothing more than head knowledge and can lead us into more sin and pride. That's what it says, uh, that knowledge puffs up in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Knowledge puffs up. And yet, as Christians, especially as those of the Reformed faith, we are to be those who cherish knowledge. We are to be those who give ourselves to studying. Uh, The elders in the church... One thing that we're going to talk about this next Lord's Day, they are supposed to be educated men, not to seminary necessarily at all, but men who know the Scriptures and can explain the Scriptures and can defend the faith. That's what we talk about this next Lord's Day. They are to be men of understanding, men of spiritual insight. That's what they are supposed to be. So knowledge for the sake of knowledge is worthless, but knowledge for the sake of Knowing God more personally, knowing Christ more deeply, is a great valuable knowledge. But here, the knowledge of Jonah, he became presumptuous. Perhaps he thought he could actually outmaneuver God. Otherwise, why would he have done it? Why would he have gotten on that ship? If he knew he was going to be tossed into the sea, he knew a fish was going to swallow him, and he knew he was going to be spat out back on the land, why would he have bothered with it? I think he was convinced he was going to get away with it. He was sleeping the peaceful sleep. And yet, his knowledge of God was incorrect. He also thought he knew better than God did because the Syrians needed to die. They were the enemies of Israel. Nineveh was the capital of Syria. They were enemies of the people of God. And Jonah determined that they need to die. So what was happening here? Jonah failed to trust God at a point where he had become so prideful that he knew better than God, and it cost him. So pride, then, uh, is always detrimental to the life of the Christian. And not saying that he ceased to be a believer. We don't cease to be believers when we sin, but we cease to be obedient children. We cease to be the kind of Christian God would have us to be when we fail to walk in faith and obedience. We cease to be his delighting in us as his children. And so we have to trust in God's wisdom and trust in God's goodness and trust that the Lord is always doing what is right. The Bible teaches us that. And the cross of Calvary demonstrates that very, very clearly. The cross of Calvary shows us that our God always does what is right and proper. And again... 
if you're thinking that God made a mistake, if you're thinking that God did something wrong, then you're in rebellion against the Lord and you're not trusting God as you should. Well, the believer's faith as Jonah's may be challenged at times. Jonah's trust in God and faith was challenged. Ours may be as well. Again, if you're talking about unconverted children, you can talk about sickness, you can talk about disappointments that you have. And you can have times in your life when you basically say, I don't understand why at all, oh God, you're doing this. Why did you take me down this path? Why do you lead me in this way? And there's a proper way to ask why. But it's not an accusatory way of asking why. That basically we're accusing God of hurting us intentionally, of being mean, of being mean-spirited. God is never mean. And yet I've talked to people that have said to me, he just seems mean as he's doing this. And yet our God by no means is mean. Our faith at times will be challenged as the sailors were challenged and they were converted for it. Perceiving oneself as an object of God's anger will be discouraging. Perceiving oneself as an object of God's anger will be discouraging. It should lead to repentance. Listen to what Jonah says here uh, in his little book. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight. Have you ever had a time in your life when you sensed God was not listening to you? Have you ever had that? Some of you haven't <laughs> ever had that. When you feel like your prayers are not really going anywhere. Or you feel like you just can't really bring yourself to pray in all sincerity for some reason or another. Perhaps a trial. Perhaps a disappointment. Whatever the case may happen to be. Jonah is in despair here. As he knows what's happening to him is because of what he did and he deserves what's happening to him. Again, I am driven away from your sight. I am beyond your help. I am in despair because I am beyond your help. When I was preaching at, at uh, Richard's, uh, my brother-in-law's funeral, I quoted Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried to thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. And I said, we are in the depths, are we not? The depths of sadness, the depths of grief, but not despair. Not despair. And I quoted from 1 Peter chapter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he may bring us to God. There's that great promise. And so Jonah here knows something of God's grace and knows something of God's mercy. He is a prophet. He knows what his God is like. And then if he says this, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. It's almost like a psalm. So many of the psalms, you know, David speaks of being downcast. And why, am I this, why did you leave me in this situation? Why are you so far from my groanings and so forth? But he always ends the Psalms in a positive note. That he knows God is going to lift him up. He knows God is going to give him the joy of knowing him. Again, well, here's where, this is where uh, Jonah is at the end of this. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. 
And I don't think he was thinking about the temple in heaven. I think he was thinking about the temple in Jerusalem. So he knows that God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy and God's hand is still upon him. Losing hope in God brings your world crashing in upon you. Losing hope in God, confidence in God, trust in God brings your world crashing in upon you. We should always remember that our God is with us. And our God loves us. Did God love Jonah any less when he tried to run away and disobey him? No. No less. Was God pleased with Jonah? No. He was not pleased with Jonah. But he didn't love him any less. That's like when you have children and they disobey. You don't love them any less. But you're by no means pleased with them. When they do something you've told them strictly not to do. I got to tell you this. We kept my grandchildren, all four of them. I know why God gives children to, to young people. <laughs> Sawyer is so cute. I mean, Carter. Sawyer is too, but Carter. Carter's two, two years old. Big old grin on his face. His grandmother said to him, don't touch that table. He looked at her, just barely touched it. Didn't grab it, just barely touched it. Talk about an expression of depravity. (laughs) You know, being specifically told, don't do that. He was looking at her. And he walked away from it. Well, you know, when when you're a grandchild, you have trouble getting upset (laughs) upset with him. But uh, still, it was disobedience. And God is not pleased with us when we disobey. And although I was not particularly the kind of smile when he did that, if it had been one of my children, I probably would not have smiled when they did that. I would have reacted very, very differently with that. So when we do things that are displeasing to the Lord, he does not love us any less, but he is not pleased with us. And as believers, those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, We should always be seeking to labor with Christ's glory in mind. When we are at our worst, when we are at our worst, we have the privilege to know that Christ loves us and we should trust Christ with unshakable faith. We are in difficult days past year and a half or so has been very rough on a lot of churches. A lot of people have not been back to church in a long time. And yet our God's sovereign over this. And I'm so, praise God, I'm so happy this COVID thing seems to be finally going away. So we trust Christ with unshakable faith in times of difficulty. We trust Christ when you have a deep sense of your sin. And when Satan comes and says to you, why in the world are you here on your knees? You're nothing but a hypocrite. What are you doing praying? And we would say back, there's no other place I can be. Nowhere else to be. Put on my knees before the Lord. 
trust Christ when your life is one constant trial. Greg Poston. I praise God, Kathy's so much better. Greg's suffering. And it's not a slight suffering. It's severe. When I saw him Friday, I've never seen him like that. Constant pain. Anemic. Very, very weak. And it's because of the drugs he's taken. Because of his medication. And he told me he's not concerned about the cancer at this point. He just wants to feel better. That's a constant trial. It doesn't go away. He's hurting all day. Every day. Gets some relief sometimes. But it's a constant trial. And we have to trust Christ in those constant trials. And know that he loves us. And know that he knows what he's doing. Trust Christ when your outward circumstances seem to speak of an unloving God. You remember what John Calvin said? I've quoted it before. I'll quote it again. J.M. Packer says something similar in that chapter 10 of knowing God about God's wisdom and our wisdom. That at times it seems like there's not a loving, benign God controlling the universe. There always is. He's always at the helm. He always has the reins in his hand controlling everything. And so we are to trust Christ when our outward circumstances seem to speak of us, to us as an unloving God. Trust Christ when all of your inward feelings threaten to bring doom into your life. When there seems to be no way to get out of a situation that you're in. There seems to be no hope at all. And yet we have to remember that our God is there. And he loves us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And we are to trust him. Jonah came back to that sense of trust in God. I will again be at your temple. I will again. And see what's involved in that is worship. It's not just that Jonah has this idea of being at the temple. But the relationship that he had spoiled. Like David when he said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That was his condition before the Lord when he didn't confess his sin. My bones were wasting away. I was groaning day and night, he said, for your hand was heavy upon me. So David was feeling a sense of his guilt, but he wouldn't confess it. So Jonah here, as he says this, that I am away from your sight, had a sense of God's hand upon him in judgment. And yet, he says... I will again look upon your holy temple with the idea of worship, of restoring that relationship, of again having a sense of great joy. He was such an interesting character because he goes to the living, he preaches they're converted, and he gets upset about it. He doesn't like the fact that they repented. And remember, he goes and sits on the hill to watch to see if God's going to destroy them, see if their conversion wasn't really sincere. He's hoping that is what is going to take place. But here in the midst of some of our most difficult days, our most trying times, is when God shows himself to us the most. And that we sense his strength the most in some of the most difficult days that we live. And if we ever have something and we say, I'll never be able to deal with that, I'll never be able to handle that, you're wrong. You can, with God's help and God's grace, you can deal with it, and he will help you, and he will support you.
I love what Paul says in the second uh, Timothy. Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. He knew his strength and he knew his presence. So can we. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, our God, for your word. We thank you for this uh, Old Testament saint, Old Testament prophet, rather, character. We thank you, our God, for recording this. We thank you for the way that we see Christ uh, pictured here in this experience in the life of Jonah. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be those as foolish to think we can outmaneuver you. Pray as well that we would be those who have faith and trust in your ways all the time. That we would not doubt. That we would not waver. And that we would be, be constant in our trust and faith in you. For we know that we as believers are to live by faith and trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.